Hi, my name is Archie and welcome to the Reconnecting Podcast. I'll be your host on a journey where I'll hopefully be talking to some of the best minds of our time on what mental health means to them and looking at these topics through a philosophical and psychological lens. This week's guest is Dr. Roger Crisp. Roger is a fellow and tutor in philosophy at St. Anne's College, Oxford. Dr. Crisp's work centres in moral philosophy with specific focuses on ethics, metaethics, normative ethics and applied ethics. Roger is the author and editor of multiple books, journals and scholarly works. As you know, I believe we find out a ton of stuff about ourselves through philosophy and who better to talk to. Roger, welcome. Thank you very much, Archie. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, I, I've, I've spoken to one of your one of your colleagues before, as you may have seen um, in my catalogue. I talked to um, uh, Robert Hupak about um, no, sorry. Well, he he is one of your colleagues, but not in not in the philosophy department, and that was very enjoyable. So I went through the the rest of the alumni, the uh, rest of the. Uh, the, the the teaching staff at Oxford to see who else I could have a chat to and and here we are so for for those of you for those listening who may not know who you are or may not be familiar with your work tell me a little bit about yourself and what it means to you when I talk about mental health or say that just the phrase mental health uh, well as far as myself um, is concerned um, I studied classics at university here at Oxford actually and the course here includes modern philosophy as well as ancient philosophy, so that's how I kind of got into it. And the, the first philosopher that uh, hooked me on philosophy was John Stuart Mill, because when I read Mill's works, I, I realised that um, he was writing about things which I had tried to think about for a long time but not really got very far with. So that was what I found so exciting about philosophy. It was this, you know, I found myself jumping ahead um, by leaps and bounds in my thinking because of the thinking that other people had, have done before us. And that's one of the reasons I'm very interested in the history of philosophy. So I'm not really a historian, but I think history has got a lot to teach us. Um, but I'm also interested in the just the straightforward questions of ethics, you know, what's right and wrong, and what is it for something to be right, what is it for something to be wrong, and so on. Yeah, and, and that was something... Just, just to jump in a second, that was something we I covered um, fairly in depth, specifically on the topic of suicide with um, uh, Michael Cholby in the first episode that I did. We talked about suicide and um, how how he's been looking at it from a philosophical point of view, and that got me very interested in what else philosophy can help us understand about mental health and about these journeys that we go on as people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that episode. And to go back to your question about mental health, I think one area that philosophy can help with is understanding why mental health matters. So I'm inclined to think it doesn't actually matter in itself. It's just because health in itself doesn't matter. I don't think there's anything good or bad about being healthy. It's what you use that health to achieve. And if you're mentally unwell, um, it's much more difficult <laughs> to achieve certain goods in your life. And of course, mental ill health often does involve things which are in themselves bad, and in particular suffering. So my, my inclination is to think that what really matters in well-being or happiness is uh, 
pleasure on the one hand and pain and suffering on the other. So the good life, the best life is the one in which you you maximize the balance of positive over negative experiences. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that um when 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 the topic of conversation when the topic of conversation reaches mental health in the um public eye, it's often talked about in a way that there's a cure, there's some sort of magic way to not be mentally unwell or to, to not suffer. But I think as you've just touched on really well there is that life is a balance. Life will always be a balancing act. And so it's it's a consistent balance of the good and the bad things and being able to deal with those bad things so they're not as affected to your life and being able to sort of fight them in a way and gain a sort of toolkit that you can use to 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 work your way around these things yeah i think that's a good way to put it so what we're talking about really is a spectrum with a vague boundary so if i say i'm mentally unwell um that that means i'm beyond a certain boundary but it's not to say that on the other side of the boundary there are people who are perfectly mentally well everybody's got some mental health issues exactly and and yeah so some people are just better at dealing with these things and making it seem like they're better at dealing with them than others and and i think a lot of people's boundaries differ there is no um there is no right and wrong answer for being mentally unwell if you feel anxious it's probably because you're anxious and you're having anxiety about something if you're feeling depressed or you're feeling that sort of pit inside of you where you're not sure what what your purpose is it's probably because you're feeling that way there's not uh there's not a right and wrong to these sorts of things and that's something that you find a lot in philosophy there's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer there's just answers and then questions and then answers and then questions yeah i think that's right um and i think you're raising an interesting question there about what makes these experiences good or bad or so i i suggested that on the view i take um, what makes an experience bad is that it's unpleasant. It causes suffering. And obviously many of the experiences involved in, in uh, mental illness do involve suffering. But there are other experiences which um, also cause suffering that people don't think of as involving mental illness. Grief, for example. I mean, grief feels bad. So I think it's a very interesting question whether... If, for example, you know, imagine somebody very close to you died, you would grieve. Would it benefit you to take a pill to remove your grief? I think it, insofar as it removes your suffering, it would benefit you. But the question is, would it also change other states? Exactly. And I, and I think it's a, I think it's a balance um, of all of these things. So... The example you gave of, of someone passing away and dealing with the grief, I think there are there are levels to which you should go to to deal with these things. You know, if you are bereaved beyond a point of therapy, beyond a point of um, non-medical treatment, then by all means. But I think there should always be, you know, steps taken depending on how much you feel it is affecting you. I think that's right. And of course, you've got to take into effect the long-term consequences of not grieving properly. Yeah. Oh no. The personally, I know the, and I, I think 
I think grief is something that's very misunderstood in that you can only be grieving if someone dies. But through therapy and through understanding of what I've been through in my life, I've understood that I've grieved for my own life. I've grieved for mistakes that I've made and things that have gone wrong in the past, lives that I wish I had lived. As a young man, I wanted to be a doctor and I realized I was in love with the idea and not the work. As I've said multiple times on this podcast, you know, I, I was I was in love with the idea of being a doctor. I didn't actually want to do the work. I didn't want to go through, you know, four years of medical school and do A-levels and do, I didn't want to do all these things. And coming to the, that realization and having to have that conversation with myself when I sort of thought, oh, okay, well, that's not, that was grief that I felt because that was a sort of life I had, I had imagined dying. Yeah, grief is, is sadness uh, and it's for things that are lost and those things can include opportunities. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird emotion that is very misunderstood, as as I feel many are. Um, so so one of my first questions for you is slightly off topic of what we've been talking about now, but um, having done some research and due diligence on yourself, um, I wanted to ask. Do you believe that being one of the, part of one of the first cohorts to study at what was an all-female college um, informed your work then and later in your career? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I mean, very small events can have very big effects on your life. So I'm sure that that year has made a big difference to my life. Um, and I went from, uh, you know, I went from an, an all-male school pretty much all male school we had some girls in the sixth form to uh to a pretty much all female college of maybe i think it's over 400 undergraduates maybe 450 something like that and we were i think there were about 40 of us there in the first year so i did have an experience that fortunately i've never had before and that was of being in a minority and I wouldn't say we were oppressed, but quite understandably, some of the students who were there who had signed up to be at an all-female college were resentful. And I, I completely understand their, their resentment. So I think I learned something from that. I hope, I hope what I learned was positive. <laughs> yeah, no, I think going from one extreme to another can be a very jarring experience. Um, it's something that can affect your life as you say, in, in ways that you may not have ever quite come to understand. I went from an all-boys boarding school to, you know, a, a normal co-ed public school environment where I had freedom for once. And it was sort of baffling. It was a baffling concept to me. Yeah. Well, I think that's right. And I, I think I also, many of the um, women who were there were very welcoming. So I think I learned something from that about the importance of welcoming people into your community rather than trying to keep them at a distance. That, so, I mean, for example, you know, this, I'm not sure, there wouldn't be a direct line, but one of the things I've um, uh, begun to think over the years is that a lot of the borders that we have between each other and between our communities are pure fabrication 
and irrational, and we'd be much better off without them. So I, I, would, I would include in that, for example, national borders, seem to me utterly arbitrary and unjustifiable, and they cause, they cause huge amounts of damage. Yeah, and it, 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 especially in the last year, you know, 2020, a year of so much social change and justice, borders and walls and um, ideas and ideologies and all of these things have caused so much pain and so much suffering around the world. The amount of mental strain that it's put on every single person while we've all been locked inside and sat on our sofas watching the TV, watching the news, being told these things over and over and over and over again. You can only imagine what borders and what walls and what sort of these things have done to us. I think you're right. I think one thing that happens is that people in general, including philosophers, tend to forget we have an evolutionary history and we are deeply territorial creatures, all of us. Um, and we, we can't just cancel that by wishing it away, but we can try to deal with it and see the, the ways in which we, could, we can change. Yeah, sorry, that was just a... A great point. It was just sticking in my brain just there. Um, so I'm going to just jump onto another question for you. How do you believe or what ideas do you think that we could take from the study of philosophy and more specifically moral philosophy and ethics um, that could help us in our understanding of mental health? Okay, well, I think... Uh... And as I was saying before, I think one thing that, can philosophy, that philosophy can help with is helping you work out what really matters in life. And I think it can be helpful to see that health in itself doesn't matter. It's only valuable in what it can help you achieve. But then there's the question, well, what should I try to achieve? So I would say the big split in philosophical views over the centuries about the nature of human um, happiness or the human good is between what you could call hedonism, which is a view that I'm more inclined to, according to which what matters is, um, you know, enjoying your life and not suffering. And uh, a more pluralistic view, which says, well, you know, those things do matter, but it also matters that you acquire knowledge and you, you understand the world, you have friends, um, you achieve something with your life and so on. And I think it's really important to make a decision about which of those positions you, you, you think is right. So, for example, it's very common for people to focus, particularly in our culture perhaps, on what they achieve. So they see life as a, as a, a sort of series of hurdles, and you've got to jump over as many of them as you can, as fast as you can, jump as high as you can, and so on. And I think that's fine if you enjoy it. But pretty often people don't enjoy it that much. And then they get to the end of the race and they look back and think, why did I do that? <laughs> you know, I, could have enjoyed, I could have enjoyed life so much more than I did. Uh, but now it's too late. So we go back to your point about grief again. Yeah, I think I think the, the existential crisis of... I'm working a job to live in a flat, to go to work in a job, to live in a flat, to go work in a job, to live in a flat, cycles through my brain constantly. 
and the idea of the the idea of why am I here? The idea of what is the point? All these massive questions that I have no reason to be asking myself other than to scare myself fly into my head and I believe your view that the, the hedonistic view that as long as I'm happy when I wake up and I go to bed for that day I'm doing something right to 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 a certain extent of course um you know I think there's definitely there's so much pressure on young people from the age of 14 to understand to to decide what GCSEs they want to do and then what A levels they want to do and then what degree they want to do and then what job they want you know we're 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 asking our kids at 17 18 to pick A levels to then pick a future to then pick a job and it's it's so constricting you you're not like to 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 take the stance that you don't understand why young people are suffering more from mental health issues now than ever is 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 ridiculous for if, in, my, in my opinion and a reason why i started this podcast because so many people believe that it's just oh that generation they don't then they're, they're so ungrateful for everything they have they don't know what we had to work for blah 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 yeah i think that's right but if we keep pushing people to go to university and do things that they don't want to do just end up with a workforce of people that hate their jobs yeah i think that's right um and i think we you know certainly in my lifetime i think um the, this sort of attitude peaked perhaps in the 1990s when when you know most of my students went off to try to make as much money as they could because they thought that's what everybody was doing and that was the right way to live uh, and it clearly isn't for many of them, uh, and it hasn't turned out to be. Um, but that's not to say that doing that is a mistake. If if you enjoy it, or if you enjoy acquiring knowledge or enjoy your career, fine. Uh, it makes sense. But don't think um, that those things are good in themselves. At least that's my my view. Yeah, I I, I completely agree, and I think. The phrase I use probably the most on a daily basis is either each to their own or uh, such is life. Um, and I think each to their own is is probably a favorite because life is all about choice. Life should be all about choice. Um, we shouldn't feel like we're ever pressured into a situation that is not comfortable for us, whether it be in work or in life. And so many people, myself included, have felt that pressure to to do exactly as um, as we were taught from a young age to 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 get that job and find that wife and get the house with the white picket fence and you know that sort of nuclear family dream. And as you say, it's it's not to say that that dream is not something that you should ever um, that that you shouldn't strive for, but it's just. That it shouldn't be the only option. Yeah, you need to reflect on on your reasons for doing it. There's a very nice, I mean, it's you know, it's a very old point, but it's very nicely made in what I think is one of the great works of philosophy, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, by Robert Persig. I don't know if you've read it, where you know, on this motorcycle journey, he realizes that the point of what he's doing is the journey. Right? It's not where you're going to go. <laughs> You've got to enjoy the. You've got to enjoy the journey. That's the point. 
And it, it, as it's going along, you know, it, and you're enjoying it, then you're achieving things <laughs> that really matter. I think, I think that's exactly it. You know, I think we we get so focused on what we want to achieve, we forget about what we are achieving. Um, little goals like, you know, getting a pay rise. It's not it's not the money that I want to achieve, so it doesn't matter, you know, or someone getting a getting a promotion or you know meeting a girlfriend oh that i'm not married to them so it doesn't matter or oh but i'm not the ceo yet so it doesn't matter we we forget to take pleasure in our own lives because we're so focused often on the end goal that we've been taught to believe in yeah i mean i think some of the goals that people achieve clearly have value well not clearly but the could plausibly be thought to have value. So, for example, if somebody does write a great novel, that might be thought to be valuable. But the kind of value it has is not necessarily value for them, right? It might not have made their life better <laughs> for them. It could, in fact, have made their life worse if it was a huge struggle. And then the question arises, well, is it is it valuable to achieve this goal in itself for me and I'm inclined to think it's not yeah I think there should always be a um a, a weighing up of options and it's another reason that I'm somewhat infatuated with looking at this journey that I'm on through a philosoph philosophical lens because there's always an argument and a counter-argument I found that philosophers don't quite like to tell themselves that they're right. They always like to try and disprove themselves before, or at least give it a go of trying to disprove themselves before they even give out a, a conclusion. And I want to be able to try and disprove why this might not be a good thing or might be a good thing before I take that opportunity. Yeah, I think philosophy is, is tricky in that... I'm interested to hear you say that about about um, philosophers, because on the other side, I think many of them are quite dogmatic and always have been. So they've tended to, at least to sound as if they believe they found the truth, when they know for a fact that many other philosophers over the history of philosophy and now would disagree with them. And I think the fact of this endless disagreement is important when it comes to your justification for what you believe. Because when you realise that people who are your sort of intellectual peers, you know, the same sort of, I don't mean, you know, they've got the same number of degrees. I mean, they've got the same access to understanding that you have. When you realise that they disagree with you, what you should think to yourself is, hmm, really, there's no reason for me to think that I've got the truth and they haven't. So the lesson should be undogmatic and you should be more ready to listen to what other people say because that may change what you believe. But obviously, the way the world appears to you is not going to change. You're still going to have your beliefs, but you just treat them in a less dogmatic way. There's one little bit there that is something that can that I, that I want to radiate out to everybody listening, and it's, it's what you said, is that you become more willing to listen. When you realise you don't... that When you come to the realisation that your truth may not be the truth and that somebody else's truth may be or that all the other way around 
you become willing to listen. As many people have said to me in my life, take the cotton wool out of my ears and put it in my mouth. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, uh, yeah, I just, I really like that message. It's, it's something that we, we've stopped doing in society oftentimes people are so ready to talk over each other and spill off the one fact they know about something you know i could talk about the dunning kruger effect at uh, at length but i won't um and it's 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 really about time that we stop and we listen because the only way we can make change and make change in all aspects especially with mental health is to stop and listen because i see a lot of people advocate but not a lot of people listen a lot of people are happy to talk you know as i say it as i talk but not many people are happy to listen um you know with philosophy we you, you ask questions and it's something we stop doing you know, uh, as a little kid, you know, my mum told me why is a crooked letter. But why is not a crooked letter? Why is the only way we can move forward? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, another famous philosophy book, which you, you may have read, even more famous than Persig is Plato's Republic. And there's a wonderful metaphor in there, um, which is well worth reading, where he, he describes us all as living in a cave a dark cave, um, and we're prisoners in this cave. We're chained to the, you know, we're chained to the ground, and all we can look at are shadows on the wall cast by puppets, which people carry behind us. We don't know the puppets are there, right? We just see the shadows and we think that they're real. Now, I think there's a lot in that, in the sense that when you reflect upon the fact that there is this huge amount of disagreement about the most fundamental issues, not just philosophical ones, but, but many others. The, atti- the right attitude to that, I would have thought, should be some kind of humility. So that the, if you're in the cave with a bunch of other people, you should start sharing you know, your views to, with one another, see if you can make some progress. And you're much more likely to make progress through sharing and through discussing uh, than you are through um, being dogmatic. Yeah, I, I, I've said it before on this podcast. It's it's the word sonder that always comes to mind when when I talk about these sorts of things. It's the idea that we have no idea what everybody else is going through. Um, we don't know what um, the person in the street that we walk past is is doing, and we are the main character in our own lives to a certain extent but we forget that there are 7 billion main characters um, in, in this movie that we are, that we, that we decide to call our lives. Um, and we, we believe we have this superiority when we don't, we're all equal. Yeah, I agree. And I like your metaphor of the movie. That's, that's how I think it is. Um, I mean, I think another very important issue here relating to mental health and many other um, related matters is the question of freedom of the will. 
which I don't myself believe in. <laughs> um, so I'm what people call an incompatibilist. I don't think um, uh, I don't think the lack of free will is really compatible with many of the notions like responsibility uh, and blame and so on. And in fact, morality as a whole, that we live our lives um, um, on the basis of. So that's another area where I think humility uh, comes into the uh, into the equation. I think I think we definitely lack um, we we lack humility in a daily in our daily lives. We lack an understanding for the fact that we are not alone on this earth. Um, and I like what you said, you know, the, the, the free will point in that it's, it's something that I, that we kind of touched on when I was talking to Michael Cholby and in, in that, you know, do we have free will if we also have the responsibility to live? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say we have a responsibility to live. I think many of us have a, a reason to live and to continue uh, reasons which relate to our own uh, happiness and the happiness of of, uh, of others. And I think, as you say, humility comes into it in the sense that many people, because they have this mistaken, I think, belief in free will, feel terribly proud of themselves <laughs> when they shouldn't really, because essentially they are just a place where stuff happens. They might feel lucky, that they've got certain talents and that these talents have been used by this individual that happens to be them in this way. Um, and they're lucky because they're happy. But equally, and perhaps even more importantly, people without those talents shouldn't feel, oh, I'm a failure. You know, I haven't achieved a great deal. You know, I'm undeserving. The whole idea of desert is uh, a mistake. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the, the 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 conversation of how the of, of having having a reason to live um, or, or having a a responsibility to live. I I completely I don't feel we have a responsibility to live. I feel that if we've been given this life, we should be able to take it away. But I believe I have a a reason to live. I have people to live for. Um, you know, I have I have I have things that I'm on this earth to do that I have found. Not necessarily that I, I don't I don't feel like I have a reason that I was put on this earth. I don't feel like I have a a, a, a reason that I was um, given life. Um, I have a strong belief that having kids is an incredibly selfish thing to do, um, because you, you you bring someone into the world um, to live and have a, a human brain, something that is possibly the most dangerous thing on on planet Earth. And has caused the most destruction and suffering and pain, um, and can cause the most pain to ourselves. Um, and so, I, I, I have a slightly um, anarchistic view on 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 life and the idea of it. You know, I've said in podcasts and in in blog posts that I don't fear death in any way, shape, or form. It's going to happen, and it will. Um, I'm not going to stop it. It's not going to be stopped at any point, and I hope it doesn't because that would be a terrible life to to live and know that I'm never going to die. I think I, it sounds weird, but I don't think I would ever want to live forever. 
I think it would be a, a very boring thing to do. Yeah, it would be uh, <laughs> difficult to um, to test that hypothesis, but you could be. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that's it. I could be a hundred percent wrong. I'm sure for a, I'm sure there is someone on Earth that would want to live forever. But personally, I don't believe I would. Um, it could certainly. I mean, it would be a gamble if you were given the opportunity uh, and. And you took it. It could it could turn out to be a complete, you know, the ultimate disaster for you. Uh, but equally, perhaps it might not. I think I I don't agree with you about having children myself. I think, uh, objectively speaking, it can turn out to have been a mistake to have a child, if the child ends up having a life that's worse than nothing at all, worse than the zero level. Um. But I suppose in many cases, that's not true. I mean, people do have children who have quite happy lives overall. No, of course, of course. And it's a decision that's to not to be made lightly, you know? Um, no. No. And I'll be perfectly candid about that. No, I agree. People don't think about it as carefully as they should. And I think you're... You, yeah, you, you use the word selfish. I think that's probably right i mean i think it's partly a psychological issue in that of course you know when we're thinking about having a child we 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 haven't got any relationship with it um when when we choose to have the child or uh how or whatever is going to change the identity of that child anyway we tend to think about the question very much in terms of our own well-being yeah i think having having kids is a uh is a weird concept obviously we are biologically wired to want to reproduce we're biologically wired to want to have kids i think that's an, uh, an undeniable fact for a the majority of people on earth not everyone but a majority of people on earth um i've said before that you know for me trying to commit suicide was the most selfish thing i've ever done because i never thought about anybody else and I think oftentimes when people think about having kids, I don't know because I've never had any, but I think oftentimes people only think about themselves having a kid and the idea of having children. They would like to have children. They don't, they, they don't think about the idea of children. Have, they don't think about the, the child that is going to have a life. They just think about, oh, it would be nice to have kids, not it would be nice to have another person have a life. No, I think that's right. I mean, it's interesting, actually. There's one of the views that's quite common these days in philosophy, and I think actually outside philosophy, is that there's nothing wrong with not having children. You don't have any duty to have children um, who are going to be happy. Um, but you do have a duty not to have children if they're going to be unhappy. So people call, call this the hybrid view. And it seems to be... It's hard to understand why... So some people would say, well, it's related some in some ways to the fact that we think it's worse to harm people than it is not to benefit them. So most of us, most of us think it's worse to kill somebody else than not to save their life. So every day, each many of us, the majority of us, do things which result in the suffering of many other, really bad suffering and death of many other people because we don't donate to charity right but that seems much less bad than than killing people 
But actually, I think, you know, if you imagine a case where, um, as it were, you know, imagine you and your your partner can have a child and you're the last people on Earth. And Earth is, at that point, actually a fantastic place to be, <laughs> right? All the resources are there and there's the opportunity for many generations of human beings to live there. Um, I think many people would say, there, you really should have a child, <laughs> Because it's good bringing to being individuals who have happy lives. Yeah, and of course, I think that's definitely quite circumstantial. Um, but I think, as 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 even in today's society, as we've as we've essentially covered now, in that it is circumstantial, and it should be. It shouldn't just be have kids because you can. No, absolutely. Also, of course, we you know people differ on this. Uh, so some people think the world is already overpopulated. Some people think the population is declining and we ought to um, increase it. Well, we haven't got a clue, really. No, I don't think I don't think anybody really has a has a concrete idea. Yeah, I think my favorite favorite quote from anyone about life um, that I would think about is is Camus, who said um, it takes more courage for one to live than it does to kill themselves. And I can a hundred percent agree with that. Took no courage because it was a well, it wasn't a courageous thing that I did. No, but I mean another way to think about it, if we go back to the issue of free will, is that's something that happened to you. Because everything that happens is something that happens to you. You were there, but the thoughts you had were not thoughts you'd chosen to have. That's impossible. The thoughts that came into your head came into your head. You had no choice over that. The desires that came into your mind came into your mind. You didn't put them there. And I think actually this attitude to the way other people behave and the way we behave ourselves can be highly beneficial because it can decrease the anger and resentment that you might feel towards yourself or towards other people at what they've done. Because the truth is, those things just happened. Yeah, one one of the most mind blowing statistics that I was ever told was by was by Michael Cholby, and it's that um, the time between thinking and doing in that the time between thinking about taking your own life and doing the average is five minutes. No rational person has a genuine argument for and against, and has a rational conversation to themselves about anything in five minutes. I may have, I may have, like, I can look at my Amazon orders. I can guarantee I'll find a few things there that took a lot less than five minutes to buy that I've never used because they were completely irrational. Now, buying things on Amazon and trying to take your own life are very different things. But the impulse, I'm sure that there are probably a lot more people listening that can understand the impulse of buying something um, than they can the idea of trying to take their own lives but it's it's literally that as someone that's done it i can i can tell you that's the closest thing i can kind of describe it as as oh that'd be nice buy it oh what am i why the fuck did i buy that that was a waste of money it's 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 the same empty feeling it goes I mean, this is related, actually, to what we were talking about before and disagreement and listening to other people and different points of view, because you can think of yourself as 
many different people over the course of time. So there's you yesterday, there's you today, there's you tomorrow. And it's worth thinking about what those individuals would say about what you should be doing now, just as it's worth thinking about what other people might say now about what you should be doing. And if you do that, you, you're more likely to make a decision that's better for you and probably for other people. And that's really the argument for humility and for democracy, if the people involved in the democracy are humble. <laughs> There's not much point in having a democracy of people shouting at each other, as, uh, we, <laughs> as we now have. One of the things that I, I spoke to my therapist about recently is that um, if I could go back and be 18, I wouldn't have been friends with myself. If I could go back and be 14 and see me as 18, I'd be terrified of myself. I probably wouldn't think I was cool. I'd probably just be like, this guy is weird and I don't quite like what he's doing. It's very strange. You should probably stop doing all those drugs and like, you know, be sensible to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of people. If you could go back and look at yourself, um, those those past yous, those yous that you used to be or that you used to think you were, um, I think we'd have a different perspective on our own lives. And I think it's similar when you think of the idea that everybody you meet meets a new version of you. It also changes your attitude to death, uh, as, as you were saying before, because um, what most of us think is, you know, death is really bad because my life is going to come to an end. But if you start thinking about yourself as an, as an individual at a time, as time passes, you die all the time. <laughs> and it doesn't seem so bad because there's another you there. Uh, the same thing will happen when, when your consciousness ends. There'll be other consciousnesses. It's as simple as that. Yeah, that's all there is to it's it. It's as simple as that. So we, we, we've sort of kind of jumped onto the next question that I have um, just in talking. But I'll read it out and we can sort of dive into it a bit more. Not that it needs it, but we can we can sort of gloss over it a little bit more. But so in today's society, it's quite divided. And I think we've just touched on the fact that democracy is not working as democracy really should be at the moment um, due to certain people with floppy hair that may not be um, mentioned. Um it's in turn caused trauma and mental health issues and social and political change and all of these things. Now, I feel like your answer is probably going to be yes, seeing as you're, you, you have studied and taught it for multiple years. But do you think that a broader understanding and a, and a wider want for philosophy, a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a more, available philosophical uh library i've i've completely butchered my sentence there but a, a more a more want of understanding could help us so more ac accessibility that's the word i was looking for more accessible philosophy i think a lot of philosophy from what i've read from having spoken to philosophers it is geared towards academia it's geared towards people that really want to know about it a book that i recommend is problem the problems of philosophy by bertrand russell because it it comes in a format 
that is digestible for someone that hasn't studied it. Other books like um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck or um, by, by Mark Manson, really, it goes into Nietzsche at the end, but in a way that's not Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Good. I mean, I think this uh, is a difficult question to answer. Um, first of all, I think it relates to what we were talking about before, about the nature of happiness. So some people would say, you know, somebody of a more Socratic point of view might say, look, all that matters in your life is that you understand as much as you can and you acquire as much knowledge of the world as you can. And philosophy will help you do that. And you should do anything that advances that knowledge, even if it makes you unhappy, right? Because that's all that matters. Whereas on the other side, you're going to get people who say, well, if you enjoy acquiring knowledge or you think that acquiring knowledge is going to make you happier, then obviously you've got a, a reason to acquire it. And I guess in my experience, most philosophers are pretty happy and pretty cheerful, not all of them. Um, certainly the ones I know seem to be uh, enjoying their lives on the whole. So I'd recommend it from that point of view. It's certainly worth dipping your toe into it. And I completely agree with you about that Bertrand Russell book. I mean, that would be one of the ones I'd, I'd certainly recommend, along with, you know, Descartes' Meditations and The Last Day. Socrates and maybe Nigel Warburton's introductory books, which I think are really excellent. Yeah. And and I think most of um most of Camus stuff, the smaller stuff like The Fall or The Rebel stuff, like I think especially The Fall, it's it's a sort of it's almost not philosophy in, in the traditional um traditional sense, um, in that it's more of a story with a philosophical agenda um that just makes you think. And I think that's what a lot of philosophy books that I've read almost miss to a certain extent. They are so factual and so um, to the point that there's not quite the idea of being not, I wouldn't say challenged because they are sometimes a challenge to get through, but they don't allow for freedom of thought. No, I think, I mean, you're quite right. I mean, actually, to, even to follow an argument requires some kind of motivation. To move from one premise to another premise in an argument, you've got to be interested in it. So I'm inclined to think, you know, philosophy is for people who enjoy it. But I think also there's a distinction between philosophy as a set of beliefs, the ones you acquire when you're doing philosophy, and um, the, the activity... Right. So everybody's got a set of beliefs, right? I, if I, I could ask you certain questions about knowledge and it would turn out that you, you are an externalist or an internalist about justification and you just didn't realise it. So everybody's got their own philosophy. So I don't think it's, you know, there's a difference between academic philosophy and philosophy. Everybody's got, got a philosophy. Everybody's got a metaphysics. Everybody's got an ethics. Everybody's got an epistemology. It's just a question of finding out what yours is and maybe changing it a bit. Now, would that, would that benefit, um, as it were, society or humanity as a whole if people did a bit more of that? Well, it's hard to say, but I'm inclined to think it probably would. Uh, as long as it was collaborative, 
I think if everybody just spent their, their, their time developing their own arguments, as it were, in their own studies, and then just shouted them out the window, that's not going to do any good. No, I think, I think that's 100% how I feel in that. It's, it's, uh, it's something that should be used for good and not for evil, uh, in that it's an understanding of philosophy of the works of the, of the, of the, the ideas had before us, rather than the, the, the set of beliefs and values, having an understanding of that to help back up your point, having an understanding of that to, to know when you might be wrong to have an understanding of the the thinkers that came before us and what they did to get to the conclusions that they had that were so groundbreaking just that way of thinking can help it's it's not necessarily picking up a book and going i believe this book and only this book it's just having a uh you know, as 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 has helped me um, with this podcast, with my own mental health, with my own recovery, thinking the way a philosopher does, and constantly asking questions, and constantly being curious, and constantly challenging your own ideas of what you've just read. You know, I've just read something by Nietzsche, so I'm going to go read something by Kant. I'm going to go back and forth, and I have an idea of what they both thought, and then go somewhere else, and then go somewhere else. I think that's right. But I think, I think there's another mistake that people often have made and continue to make, um, which consists in the belief that somehow philosophy really matters. It's really more fundamental than everything else. And th there are certain ways in which that can be true in the sense that some of the questions that philosophers ask are, are more ultimate than other questions that people ask. I mean, there's kind of nowhere to go after a lot of philosophy. You've kind of reached bedrock and then you you just have to decide one way or the other. You know, yes, the world is real or no, it isn't. It's an illusion or whatever. Um, but wh why does that matter more if you, if you don't enjoy uh, inquiring into it? If, if, you're, if you're more interested in botany, fine. Yeah. It would just it would be a mistake to think, oh, I must be a philosopher because the questions are more, are more ultimate. That doesn't make them more worthwhile. No, and and I think I think is 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 has been a, a trend throughout our conversation. It's do what makes you happy. You know, don't read a philosophy book because you think it's going to help. If you don't think it's also going to be enjoyable and also going to be something that you will like to do. Yes, having an understanding of these things may help, but if in the long run it sucks and you don't enjoy it, do something that you do. Yeah, and don't don't feel afraid. Yeah, don't think I failed because I, you know, I, you know, I spend most of my time watching James Bond movies. Sure, if that's what you enjoy, that's fine. You should do that. If Love Island is more interesting than Camus, so be it. Yeah, <laughs> and I wouldn't blame you. So to, to, to wrap up, I'm going to ask you what I've been asking a lot of people. Um, if you could leave one message for everybody listening, what would it be? Be happy. Do what makes you happy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, the, you know, 
make other people happy roger thank you so much i have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation um is there anything you want to put out there your website any any talks that you'll be doing anything you're hosting um no i just encourage you know as you as you were replying i mean philosophy is not as well known in certainly in this country as it could be so i would encourage people to get out there and try it you might enjoy it you never know fantastic roger thank you so much thank you archie Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Reconnecting Podcast. If you've been affected by anything that we've discussed in this episode, please look to the description where I have left links for you to be able to find help. As I always say, pick up the phone and you'll never know what could happen. Love you all and I'll see you next time. Bye bye.